greeting and welcome into the Lord's house this morning. It is a beautiful day that the Lord has given us to worship our God. We come this morning to confess our sins and to remember the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. We acknowledge his goodness to us and his faithfulness to us day by day. A few announcements before the call to worship that first, Karen Zanstra has asked for prayers for her granddaughter Amelia who will be going in for reconstructive surgery tomorrow. So we want to be praying for her uh, as that surgery takes place tomorrow. And if you are interested in the proceedings from Synod, the Synod press releases are at the Synod or the URC website. There'll probably be more information forthcoming. We're still working on that as to whether a presentation will be giving, given here. But if you're interested in the press releases that were put out this week, they're at urcna.org. U-R-C-N-A, North America, dot O-R-G. I'd ask you to stand as we hear the call to worship this morning from the prophet Isaiah as he writes, as he records the word of the Lord and as we turn to the Psalms. Isaiah 66, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. And then a few chapters earlier, we read, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And then the psalmist declares that we are to come to bring praise to the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. Praise the Lord. Our God is the one who is above all the nations and all of the goings on. He is the one who ordains all things, whatsoever comes to pass. Congregation, and whom is your help? The God of all glory greets you this morning. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's turn in our hymnals to number 148B, 148B, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. We're going to sing those three stanzas of 148B.
This morning for the reading of God's will for our lives, we look at Colossians chapter 3. We are mindful of what the Lord has done, that he has transformed us, is transforming us by his word and by his spirit. And so we reflect then on what that looks like, what that means as we read the word of God from Colossians chapter 3 this morning. Page 984 in your Bibles in front of you. Since then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Dear brothers and sisters, one of the greatest testimonies that we can give to the world is to live in unity, to live as those who love each other, who want to live to help one another and to serve one another in the way we speak to each other, children, the way we talk to our siblings, the way we talk to our parents, husbands, to our wives, wives to our husbands. The world observes. I've not lived in a neighborhood most of my life. I've lived in parsonages, and there's always this nice compound. There's a church, and then there's a house, and then there's this big lot. Now I have neighbors right behind me, and my curtains are open, and they can see what we're doing at the mealtime. And often I'm thinking, oh yeah, I probably better calm down a little bit. They're probably wondering what I'm saying or what I'm doing. It's a good reminder, isn't it, that people are watching. But more so, God sees, and God observes. And he says, Behold, I have come to make all things new. And that includes your hearts. Not just what happens outwardly, but what is going on inwardly so that what occurs outwardly is a testimony to God's gracious reworking of our lives. That we might put the old self to death. That the new self, being made in God's image, might be seen by all. And we recognize, as we think of looking through the large window in the back of the neighbor's house that we don't always see perfect behavior. We don't always see this loving attitude, not in ourselves either, as we look at ourselves and consider our own doings. And so we're reminded in the scripture that God has provided a means of forgiveness. We read it this morning, but I want to reread it in Isaiah chapter 55. It says there that God is one who wants us to seek him and to put away all wickedness and to put away all unrighteous thoughts, to return to the Lord, for he has compassion. He is the one who abundantly pardons. He does so in the Lord Jesus Christ. He forgives us our sins. 
cleansing us from all unrighteousness and calling us then to be his witnesses to that new life. May God help us to do that. Our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to sing of that now. Number 447, Christ of all my hopes, the ground. He is the one who is our confidence and our joy. We're going to sing those five stanzas of number 447. Let us turn to the Lord now in time of congregational prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, as we have come again here to this place, we thank you for gathering us together, bringing us through another week filled with joys and struggles, frustrations, and and those things that we give thanks for. You're, You're shaping and molding us. We dare not forget that. Lord, as we as we think upon this week gone by. There are many things for which we ask for forgiveness. Words spoken that we should have not spoken. Words left unsaid that we should have said. Lord, thoughts that were murderous, thoughts that were destructive. Forgive us, Lord, for these actions and for these thoughts. Remember your Son in whom we find our ground, a spring of all our joy. We want to be found in him and to employ all of our powers for you, dear Father. That is a heart's aspiration that must grow, that must mature. We pray that that would grow in our children. We pray that that would grow in all of us, even as we grow older continuing to mature, continuing to look to your word and finding in it a, a depth that, that calls us to continue to, to go deeper and to, to strive more in the power of your spirit, turning from the old self, putting off that anger and that rage and that malice, putting on compassion and kindness and, and love. Oh Lord, we... Trust in your Son and his shed blood for us. 
the one who opens the way for us to come to you. As we look to that coming day, help us, Lord, to be able to testify that to live is Christ, that all that we seek to do would be to make his name known and that we would point many from their despair and from their hurt to look to him who welcomes sinners who will come and confess their sins, promises to forgive. Help us to to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. That we would know that as we prepare in this life, we are preparing for an eternity of glorious existence in which we shall serve you and live for you forever. Lord, help us to see that as gain and not as loss. Yet we do pray for those who grieve the loss of loved ones. There is a time of separation. There is a time where uh, memories are held on to when loved ones cannot be. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would comfort and sustain the promises that you give in your word. That you would comfort that you would grant an undying hope in the hearts and minds of those who grieve. Lord, we think of the needs in, in this world, in this present day, in our congregation. I pray for your continued sustaining grace for Lois, and we pray that for Debbie as well. We pray for those caregivers that Take care of Barb Zanstra, though she doesn't remember always what is going on around her. Grant them patience and perseverance and love. We pray for Beth, too, as she continues to to look to you for her strength, to testify to your goodness. Lord, grant her rich measure of grace that she would be a shining light for you at Beth Shan. We ask for your strength for for George as the days are different from from day to day so so many it seems like much more up and down we ask oh lord that you would be with those who take care of him also that they would patiently help and and give to his need lord you know there the needs of all those of whom we've just for whom we've just prayed grant them these blessings from your hand we pray for amelia as she goes in for surgery this week reconstructive surgery we ask o oh lord that that it, that it would be helpful to her and uh, increase her her health and um, her outlook toward the future we we think of the surgeons who perform these, uh, these tasks. May they do so, recognizing what a, what a skill they have to, to give uh, improved uh, life. But may they look to you for, uh, in thanksgiving for all that they're able to do. We rejoice with those who have been uh, united in marriage this week. We think of Kyle and Allison. We look forward to having them back with us. Uh, in coming days, grant them traveling mercies on their honeymoon. Grant them a, a wonderful place here uh, with us as they, uh, as they take up their calling here as, as a new household. We pray for the expectant mothers among us. Lord, grant them all that they need. Grant them healthy pregnancies. We give thanks for all the anniversaries and, and birthdays that we celebrate too. Uh, milestones speaking to your grace and to your mercy. We pray for this country in which we live, where there seems to be, where there is such an attack on all that, uh, that would hold the nation together. Lord, give us leaders that would stand and uphold those things that are necessary for the, for the solidarity that we need to live as a society. We pray for the elections coming up that you would grant 
those in in those to come to power who are looking to you and and serving you in making decisions that they would uh, do what is right as they represent um, their constituency. We thank you that Synod could be held this past week and that there was good fellowship and that there was progress made in, in various areas, giving clarity in, in areas that where there wasn't, uh, where, where there was needed clarity. Lord, we continue to, to develop and to grow and to mature and grant our federation a, a maturing uh, as, it, uh, as it moves forward and, and seeks to stand for truth and to show compassion in a world that is so in such disarray. We thank you for those who work in, in challenging areas uh, with the gospel. We think of uh, Ken Anima and all of the instructors at Divine Hope uh, Reformed Bible Seminary. Lord, continue to bless them, Reverend Brummel and Reverend Ipema and uh, Reverend Malin and John Hamstra. We thank you that they have... Uh, full service back in the prisons again, full capacity. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would be with those students who are attending these classes and for their families as incarceration puts strain on marriages and hinders the relationships between parents and children. We know that there are uh, reasons for these uh, individuals to be In, in prison, but we pray that you would be freeing their hearts and their minds uh, to look to you and to find a peace, even in this situation, their families as well, and that you would keep them from uh, returning to, to sinful paths in their thought process, but to be growing and to be a witness where they can be there in, uh, in the prisons. Thank you, dear Father, for those who instruct and those who teach, for those who lead Thank you for our elders and for our deacons. Continue to bless them in their work and their family visits, in their uh, distribution of benevolence and all of the, uh, the tasks that are before them and the raising of their families and the instruction that they give uh, to those around them. Grant a rich measure of your spirit to them that we would be well-led and encouraged in faithfulness. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word in a few moments, open our hearts and our minds to it as well, that we would hear and that we would rejoice in it. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Number 265 is the song that we're going to sing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. I'm going to stand to sing those Four stanzas of number 265.
Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9. We'll be looking this morning at a topic which seems irrelevant to people today. That's why it's important to preach through the books of the Bible. We might miss things that we need to hear or that we need to remember. Things that we would otherwise ignore. Teaching in today's passage is about covenant. Specifically, the covenant that God made with Noah to assure him of his faithfulness to preserve Noah. But also, more broadly, God's covenant with not only believers, but the world which he has created. I had skipped over some of the verses there. I thought this week was a baptism, and so I was looking at the covenant in verses 8 through uh, 17, only to realize, oh, the baptism's next week. So listen for next week as well, uh, as we think about this idea of covenant that God gives to us. We're going to come back to uh, those intervening verses that speak about capital punishment. Not exactly a topic I thought would be good for Baptism Sunday. So we will be coming back to those verses uh, in, in the intervening there between verse 1 and verse 8. This morning we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 17. Give your attention to the reading of God's word, Genesis chapter 9, starting in verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the field, or beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth when I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds. I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember, remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Dear people of God, this morning I want to look at the remarkable breadth, the remarkable permanence, and the remarkable generosity of God's covenant. If we were to ask people, in fact these questions have been asked, what is the Bible all about? Many people would say, well it's about living right, it's about doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's, in in part, that's true. Another survey was taken not so many years ago asking what is the theme or what is the, 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 the focus of the Bible? What does Christianity teach? And the suggestion was offered uh, uh, that God helps those who help themselves. And 75% of those who went uh, to church said, yeah, that, that's right. That, that's what the Bible teaches. So I trust you see why we need to review this. <laughs> um. The Bible isn't teaching that God helps those who help themselves. God is teaching his great work on behalf of helpless sinners, on behalf of those who are dead in sin and who cannot simply rise from the dead of their own strength. God tells us that his word is all about his wondrous deeds and thoughts towards his creation. The Bible tells us the dramatic story of how the world came into being, how man sinned and plunged all of the earth into sin, and how God has a plan now to restore, to renew the world, to set up a new creation. God reveals himself as a personal God who has a relationship with his creation. He has 
created the world and relates to it. And many people don't like the God who is, and so they say, well, I, I don't like your God. Yet the God who is declares that he rules over all things. He has established all things and that all who would desire to live must have right relationship with him, being reconciled to him. And that only by faith in Jesus Christ. The basic structure that God uses to speak of his relationship with the world is that of covenant. Covenant is usually thought of as a contract. And while there are some similarities between covenant and contract, there are some differences We're not going to look at all the differences and all the similarities, just one in particular. Covenants in the Bible are not usually between equals. They follow the pattern of the ancient Near Eastern treaties of that between the king and his his servants. And there's a a pattern to the the covenant. We see it in Exodus 20. You can see it there uh, as you look at the Ten Commandments. It's set up that way. God sets before the people who he is. He declares who he is. He says, I am the Lord your God. It is a declaration of the parties involved. He says, I am the Lord your God. I am in relationship with you. God is king. The Israelites were his servants. The covenant includes historical prologue. This lists what the king has done on behalf of his servants and why the servants then are to obey, why they're to, uh, to follow after him. And that we see as well in Exodus 20. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the land or the house of slavery, out of bondage. He declares what he has done and why he deserves loyalty from his servants. It's a picture of God's work on behalf of, of the world. When he provides, he says, I am going to, to extend my covenant, not just to Israel, but to the nations in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true Israelite, the true Israel, who comes to lay down the final sacrifice that nations, that people from all nations might believe in him and have relationship with the one true God. Covenant gives stipulations of obedience. Because of this, because I am Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, you shall. And then it gives all of the, the stipulations. The call to obedience ends with a list of blessings. Covenant ends with a list of blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. In biblical times, the covenants were ratified with blood. There would be an animal split apart, and and those who made covenant would walk in between, and what they would declare is that we will keep covenant or we will be torn asunder. We will be torn apart, deserving of death. That's the result, the resulting penalty for breaking covenant. God revealed himself to the first people on earth. He promised protection and provision for them, giving them a garden and declaring that they were made for his glory. If they refused him, he told the first man and the first woman that the resulting, the consequence would be that of death. And when they rebelled, we read in the scripture, all of humanity rebelled with them. We're at odds with the creator, the one who wanted to have covenant relationship, the one who wanted to maintain relationship with all people. As creator, God sets the terms for life and death. They did not die instantly, but physical death entered in and they died spiritually. They no longer could not sin or they could, they, it was impossible for them not to sin. And so the Lord provided a way to deliver them or pointed to the fact that he was going to provide a way to deliver them from sin that they might not die. This is the history of the world. And this is a history you don't hear taught in the schools that are publicly run in this land today. You don't hear this. It's being increasingly suppressed. You might hear it here and there, but as a whole, you're not hearing this. In fact, this, this is seen as something to, to be done away with. We set our own history. We make our own history, as it were. It's seen, the history in God's word is seen as irrelevant. Increasing the schools will not teach our nation's history, where we come from, how we were established as a nation under God, indivisible, 
And we see many who have no idea what our country was created upon, how it stood, where it was established, and under whom we live. A covenant, a relationship. And increasingly we see the animosity between peoples because we do not recognize our common origin and common history. We're told as a culture that if we're not happy with the world, if we're not happy with who we are, then we can take whatever steps are necessary to make the world or to make ourselves happy. And the more radical one is, the braver one is celebrated to be. Oh, how brave of you to deny even that, to change, to go to any extreme to change. We've convinced ourselves that only we can fix ourselves and we'll go to radical extremes to do so. Failing to acknowledge that our misery comes from being alienated from God. When the Lord saw how wicked man had become, he declared that he was going to blot out mankind with the exception of one man, Noah. He told Noah of his plans in chapter 6. Declared that he would graciously spare Noah and his family. That the covenant would extend beyond Noah to his family and his offspring. It's one of the many covenants that's recorded in the scriptures which point forward. Which point forward to God's establishing a relationship with people. Reminding us of his commitment to the world. Reminding us of his commitment to those made in his image. Covenants point forward to the new covenant that he would make with his son, the covenant of grace by which he would require no more blood to be shed for sin because the Lord Jesus would offer that final complete sacrifice. God would not allow what man did to forever corrupt what he had made good. He made a promise to renew the world. Yet what we must not forget is that not everyone will be blessed in that renewal. Only those who turn from sin and embrace the Savior. Only they will look forward to a glorious new world. Well, that's the backstory. And then we come to the breadth of the commandment, or the covenant of God's covenant here this morning as we see it. Listen to those words. Verses 8 through 11, God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God makes a covenant with the whole earth, with all of creation. He has the prerogative to do that as God. The, the breath is remarkable. There is, not, there is not a square inch that he does not address as that which will be renewed, as that which wherein his people ought not to be working and, and, and living for renewal. All that which is in keeping with his commands. Certainly there are those occupations, those, those uh, places in the world where we ought not to be because it is disobedient to God, but in every place where God has established his dominion and calls us to live, there are to be his people there, pointing them to this covenant God who wants to be in relationship. Take comfort in the breadth of God's covenant. God makes covenant with the earth in our day where fear can quickly be stirred by climate, uh, cries to climate change and cries of nuclear, nuclear war and all of the rest, it is good to remember that God promises to keep his creation. You watch the news today and you might get a little depressed. You may not want to even want to go out the door because you're afraid of what you might face. But God goes with you and he declares that he is keeping covenant. Established in the blood of his son. He has a plan for the world. Judgment was over the whole earth. God preserved Noah and his family and two kinds of every animal in the ark. Because of his preservation, the world was not totally lost. 
And just as judgment was over all the earth, so is God's promise. God, and this is a beautiful word from Habakkuk 3, God in wrath remembers mercy. God in wrath remembers mercy. He holds these attributes in perfect balance. He made covenant with our first parents to be his representatives on earth. They were given everything they needed to live rightly before him. Bursting with beauty and with splendor, the garden was a place where they were to be spreading forth God's goodness and his glory to the ends of the earth. They were to fill the earth and to subdue it. To be fruitful and multiply. Adam and Eve were to rule over the creation, stewarding and caring for the world on behalf of the Lord. In his image and likeness, they were to be agents of his spreading goodness. In that we see our calling. In that we see our our, uh, command to go forth and to spread that. To declare God's goodness. Paul writes that Adam was a type or pattern of Christ. The one who was to come. Romans 5.14. Because of his purpose... Because his purpose was to picture the one man who had known the love of God from eternity. Who had always enjoyed the love of his father, Jesus. To whom every knee would one day bow and who would come to fill all things. Adam is called the son of God in Luke 3.38 to show just how closely there is a connection between man and his call to be like the eternal Son of the Father. This was God's design for humanity, that we would delight ourselves in the love of God, image Him in creation, and reach reach to the ends of the earth in abundant fruitfulness. This is the root of our dignity. That's why we have this sense of, of that there's a, there's a reason we're here. There's a dignity in humanity. We want to be recognized. We want to be noticed. We want to be accepted. There, God has set that within. The reason we have, we feel an itch for purpose and significance is that we are made in God's image. We were created for glory, one has said, for glory and to be glorious like our God. But sin unraveled all this. God was was grieved by how little humanity imaged him, so he determined to blot out humanity except for one. Because of the covenant he had made with his son and his spirit from eternity, the covenant of redemption, he spared this man and promised blessing to him in all the earth. Increasingly, however, our world has an amnesia about all of this. It's forgetfulness about the past. We can say, I think, God-haters dominate our educational institutions and seek to wipe out our memory of the world as God made it. If maybe not in lower levels of education, certainly in higher levels. And we need to be prepared for that and to recognize that. Their goal is to blot out that memory, to re-educate, to reprogram, to renew in their image, and not to lead us to be renewed in God's. Paul spoke of the devastating reach of sin to all and everywhere. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he says. The earth groans under the effects of sin. Adam's sin has subjected the creation to decay, but God has made promise to renew all of creation, to bring it beyond decay. Listen to those words from Romans 8. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The creation waits for that. We wait for that. There's a song that I like, I've uh, been listening to a, a lot recently by a group called the Grey Havens, or a, a couple I think is, is more accurate husband and wife. The title is She Waits. Here are the lyrics. Dressed in chains, 
Now she waits. Looking back upon that day, when the dawn first held its gaze upon the son and the daughter's face. But strange now it seems, like some dark and distant dream, still she hopes and longs to be, once again and finally free. So she waits. She's seen empires come and go, watched the kingdom's children grow, sparks and embers far from home. Born to shine and to behold. Because on her chain is a lock and the key is the radiance she will see from the light that's going to be cast from the sons and the daughters free. So she waits. We wait with eager anticipation of what is to come. And we work, don't we? We work as we look for and, as it were, prepare the world for God's, for Christ's return. While we wait, God gives his word that the world will be rescued. He says it in verses 10 and 11 of Genesis 9. His promise is not an empty word. His word is the word of Jesus, whom John says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, not anything that has been made was made. The triune God has made a covenant to the ends of the earth to rescue it from corruption. And as we wait, he gives us that beautiful sign in the clouds which points to the certainty of promised restoration. After the rain, after the storm, the rainbow. He reminds us to look there. It almost never fails at our house that when the rains come and and the sun shines afterwards that someone will go outside to see if they can't see the rainbow. It's It's a healthy reminder to us that God will keep his promise. The thing about a rainbow is it doesn't appear until after the sun shines. The storm comes. The sun needs to shine. When God's Son appears, judgment will fall, but the beauty of the earth will also be revealed in the children of God, the Scriptures tell us. We go back to the beginning. We think, in the beginning, light pierced the darkness there in Genesis chapter 1. Upon man's sin, God came down from heaven to declare that he was going to deliver Adam and Eve through one of their offspring, through sacrifice. And in the fullness of time, He sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law and make them sons and daughters by adoption. And tied up in this one is the promise that he's going to make all things new. He says in Revelation Revelation 21, Behold, I make all things new. That's the breadth of of God's covenant, the permanence then. God says in verse 16 that he will remember his covenant as an everlasting covenant. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. When God makes covenant with us, he does so by swearing by his own name. He takes upon himself the curse of sin and he removes it. We see a few chapters later where God makes covenant with Abraham and declares that he is the one who's going to go between those two pieces. He is the one who's going to be cut off that the covenant might be maintained, that relationship might be established forever between God and man. When Christ suffers there upon the cross, there's only darkness, no light, no rainbow, But in his resurrection, there's only light, no storm. And when we look ahead in God's revelation, we see in the book of the Revelation, a rainbow over the throne of God in Revelation chapter 4. John sees the one seated on the throne, surrounded by a rainbow, set before the Lord as a sign that reminds him of his everlasting covenant sealed by his Son. 
Now, the rainbow is not separate from judgment. You see, the storm comes first. The storm comes before the sun shines. There are those today who think that picture of the rainbow means tolerance for all and inclusion and no concern over sin, and yet it speaks of a promised deliverance, but only to those who have looked to the, to the sun. The one who shines, the one who is the light of the world. But there is that permanence because the sun lives forever to intercede for us, as we read in Hebrews. The permanence of God's covenant. Then lastly, the generosity or the graciousness of God's covenant with man. God saw the greatness of the wickedness upon the earth, and yet he came down to establish covenant with Noah. Even though Noah himself was a sinner, as we see just a few verses later in chapter 9. We see the graciousness of God to make covenant with Noah and his family. I was thinking about that relationship this week as I was thinking about baptism, how God extends his promise to us and to our children. He says, this promise is to you and to your children, to all those who are far off, to all those who will call upon the Lord. God promises to be a God to us and to our children after us. He doesn't call us to first do something to prove ourselves that we would be acceptable to him. His grace extends to us and then to our offspring. And we raise them in the covenant, teaching them the history of the world and the centrality of God's covenant with the world and of how in grace he's provided a savior to rescue us from sin. Noah comes out of the ark He's seen the great destruction. What does he do? He says, look at, the, look at this. Look what happened. Look what God is going to do. He offers a sacrifice for deliverance, doesn't he? And then God reminds him of the covenant that he's making to him, to his children. What a beautiful sign that we see in baptism. God promises that in Christ he will wash our sins away. In the rainbow we see God reminding us that there is light after the storm and that all things will be made new. We look forward to that coming day because of the covenant which God makes to the ends of the earth forever and graciously through Christ. We wait in hope and we give thanks to God for in the Lord Jesus Christ we have an eternal glory waiting in which we will serve him forever. But we begin now. May God help us to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are in covenant with you, we reflect upon the, the wonder of the, the, the remarkable nature of the covenant that it is to the ends of the earth, that it is a permanent covenant, that you have established it in your Son who is faithful, that you will not you will never say no to those who come in Christ. What a gracious covenant you've established, making the way for us to come to you. Lord, may that lead us to want to live for you now, each and every day, to bear fruit, to, to multiply, to spread out to the ends of the earth, speaking of your goodness as we teach our children, as they go forth, as we impact other communities coming together uh, in various events and then parting ways again, remembering of what you've done in Christ. Again, we thank you for the church. We thank you for the, the work of, of the churches, of the United Reformed Churches and the synod that they could have this week and the fellowship that was had there and how that encourages us again to, to go forth. May this smaller gathering do the same as we gather here together and hear about your goodness, your faithfulness. May it encourage us to go forth and to serve. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Number 508. As we look at the Lord Jesus as our priceless treasure. Jesus, priceless treasure, source of purest pleasure. We're going to sing those five stanzas of number 508. Let's stand to sing.
Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, we thank you for the promise that your word goes to the ends of the earth, that you are making covenant with people in Christ to the ends of the earth. We pray for the work of the Reformed Church planting efforts in Italy, in Romania. We thank you for Reverends Ferrari and Brown in Italy and Reverend Corcea in Romania. We ask, O Lord, that you would continue to bless them and encourage them as they gather together in their own uh, network of churches. Lord, may they find strength in, in numbers in their coming together. May you cause the church to grow numerically and spiritually. Receive our gifts and our prayers for this cause, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. People, please stand as we hear God's parting blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you all. Amen. Amen.